Good morning, church. Our scripture reading today is taken from the book of Isaiah, chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, followed by verses 16 through 20. Again, that's Isaiah, chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, followed by verses 16 through 20. And the word of the Lord reads... The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, and give, he, give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey knows its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Ah, sinful nation a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. Why will you be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot, even to the head, there is no soundness in it but bruises and sores and raw wounds. They are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. Verse 16, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and hearing of his word. The highway system in America is, is numbered. If you've been on the highway, you know that. You see the numbers on the highway. It's, it can be complex in, in a lot of places, but there is a rhyme and a reason to it. You do understand that the odd number highways run north and south. 75, 85, running north and south. 75 runs all the way from the tip top of Michigan all the way to the bottom tip of Florida. I've been on that highway many, 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 many times. The odd numbers run north and south. The the, uh, even numbers run east and west, like I-40 and I-20. I-20 running all the way from South Carolina all the way to West Texas. Isn't that right, Laura? Amen. Lord's been on that been on that road many, 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 many times. And if you've traveled at all any of the distances of our country, no doubt you have been on these numbered highways. And many of them are well known. But perhaps the most well-known highway in America is U.S. Highway 66. Isn't that right, Brother Murph? Or as it is commonly known as 
Route 66. It is one of the original interstate highways in this country, built in 1926. That's why it's so well-known, but it's not only well-known because it was one of the original highways, well-known because it's been popularized in song. Sung by none other than Nat King Cole himself. Get your kicks on Route 66. They don't know anything about that, Miss Christine. They don't know anything about Nat King Cole. They don't know anything about get your kicks on Route 66. But they'll look it up. Also featured in the Disney Pixar classic of Cars. Route 66. Route 66 is a highway that runs through the heart of America. It is the definitive highway of America because in one sense it captures America, running all the way from Chicago straight through the heartland of the country all the way to Los Angeles, California. The book of Isaiah and its 66 chapters, in a sense, does the same thing in the heart of the Bible. For it runs right through the heart of the scriptures and captures the meaning and main theme of what the Bible is all about. As Route 66, you can take that road and you can cross the country on a road trip showing you the heart of America and what America is all about. So too, beloved, you could say that this is what Isaiah does for the Bible. Isaiah tells the story of the Bible. It is, biblically speaking, Route 66. As someone has said, Isaiah is the Bible in miniature. The Bible in miniature. The Bible contains 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New. Two parts. Isaiah contains 66 chapters, 39 in the first part, 27 in part two. The Bible is the story, the grand drama of God saving his people in 66 movements. The prophecy of Isaiah is the story of God saving his people in 66 chapters. The Bible tells the story of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. That's the story of the Bible. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Isaiah is the short story, prophetic form of the Bible's creation, fall, redemption, restoration. 
Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. That's the story of the Bible. That is, those are the answers that the Bible gives to the great questions that are asked. The most significant questions that are asked. Those are the answers that the Bible gives. Where did you come from? Creation. What went wrong? The fall. Where do we find hope? Redemption. What is the ultimate goal? Restoration. Those are the central four questions of humanity. Those are the answers that the Bible gives. This is the major theme and message of the Bible. This is the major theme and message of Isaiah. The Bible gives us this message and theme in 66 books. Isaiah gives us this message and theme in 66 chapters. This is what we will discover, beloved, anew. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. This is the route we're taking to discover that. 66 messages, 66 messages to see and discover and enjoy the glory of God in saving his people. 66 messages, and therefore, you're here week one for the next 66 weeks. We're going to gather together and get our kicks on Route 66. Through the prophecy of Isaiah. Who is Isaiah? The Bible tells us, doesn't it? It tells in Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 1 that Isaiah was a prophet. He was the son of Amos. And as a prophet, he was given a vision. He was given a word. He was shown by God. The God of the Bible revealed to him a word and told him to speak that word to the nation in general and to Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem in particular. When when did he receive this word, beloved? Well, he received this word at a very challenging time in the history of the nation of Israel. As we know, after Solomon, the nation of Israel was split. After the reign of King Solomon, the nation of Israel was split. It was split into two. The northern kingdom maintained the name of Israel, and the southern kingdom became known as Judah. Isaiah was a prophet to the southern kingdom. He was a prophet to Judah. 
He's a prophet, as the Bible says in chapter and verse 1, during the reign and the kingship of Uzziah and Jotham and Ahaz and Hezekiah. Each of these kings facing various challenges concerning themselves, their own hearts, and the nation. And Isaiah was called to prophesy to them and the nation, to Judah and Jerusalem. And it was a difficult time because, beloved, at that time, the northern part of the kingdom, Israel, had already been conquered by the Assyrians. The Assyrians had come into Israel and had conquered the northern kingdom. And as they had conquered the northern kingdom, threats, threats of the Assyrians were beginning to creep upon the southern kingdom. The Assyrians were not friendly. They were not nice. They were not neighborly. We would consider them a terrorist state today. And the word was that they were coming. They were coming. And the threat was growing against the southern kingdom of Judah. And the kings and the people of Judah grew fearful. Grew fearful. And out of fear, and out of fear, they became unfaithful. Out of fear, they became disobedient. Because of that fear, they became idolaters. Why? Because that's what fear does, beloved. Fear causes unfaithfulness. Fear attacks faith. Fear causes all kinds of faithless and foolish decisions in our lives. Fear will remain in situations we shouldn't remain in because we are afraid. Afraid of being alone. We would do things that we normally would not do because we are afraid. Afraid of the consequences. We will agree with things that we should not agree with because we are afraid. Afraid of being ostracized. Afraid of being alienated. We fear being left out. This is why one of the major themes of Isaiah is God telling his people to stop being afraid. Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 10, God says, so do not fear. Stop being afraid. I am with you. Do not be, be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will be your help. I will be your strength. I will be your guide. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. The problem with Judah was the prob is the problem with most of us. We are afraid. 
And out of fear, Judah turned, was turning away from Jehovah and was turning for help and protection from the other nations. Afraid of the Syrians, they were going to call up the Egyptians. Turning away from God as their protector and their provider. Seeking to trust in God, his help, his strength. She was turning to the nations around her. She was being unfaithful. She was being disobedient. And in this, she was rebelling. She was being rebellious. Rebellious. Turning away from God. Turning in unfaithfulness and rebellion. And what did God call Isaiah to do? In the midst of this, God called Isaiah to bring an indictment upon Judah. To bring an indictment upon Jerusalem. He was called to bring an indictment based upon her sinful and disobedient ways. And he sent Isaiah to Judah and Jerusalem and said, it's time. It's time to have a come to Jesus meeting. It's time to have one of those meetings. We've all had them. We've had them from time to time. A come to Jesus meeting. You've had to have them with the with a, with, with, with a teacher and a student. Had to have them with a coach and a player. Had to have them with a spouse. Notice what Jesus, notice what God says. You go tell them it's time. It's time for a come to God meeting. Verse 2. Hear me, you heavens. Listen, earth. For the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. Time for a family meeting. Time for a come to God meeting. Because Israel was in rebellion. And throughout Isaiah, and throughout Isaiah, Israel and, and Judah's disobedient, disobedience is going to be described, and, and their rebellion is going to be described in several ways. In Isaiah 42 and verse 19, she's going to be called a blind and deaf servant. How useful is a blind and deaf servant? In chapter 5 of Isaiah, she is going to be called an unfruitful and unfaithful vineyard. That God had planted a vineyard and had expected to, re- had expected to reap fruit, useful, bountiful, good, glorious, juicy fruit. And what did he find but rotten grapes? 
She would be compared to a blind and deaf servant. She's going to be compared to an unfaithful and unfruitful vine. But beloved, the most difficult and the most emotionally charged description that we're going to find concerning the nation of Israel and Judah is that she is compared to a disobedient and rebellious child. Disobedient and rebellious children. To a parent, to a parent, few things are as discouraging as rebellious children. The betrayal of a friend can be difficult. The betrayal of a spouse can be particularly hard. The failure and betrayal of a teammate can be hard to overcome. But nothing, beloved, nothing, nothing pulls at the heartstrings like a rebellious child. The Bible says in Proverbs 10 and 1, a wise child brings joy to a father, but a foolish child brings grief to a mother. In Proverbs 19 and 26, the Bible says, children who mistreat their father or chase away their mother are an embarrassment and a public disgrace. Perhaps, perhaps, beloved, perhaps you have experienced this heart pain as a, a parent. Many of us have. Perhaps you have the regret of having been that rebellious child. At some point in your life. Perhaps you are that child this morning. Whatever is the case, either way, beloved, nothing pulls at a parent's heart and causes more angst than a rebellious son or daughter. And if this is true of earthly imperfect parents, how much more true is it of a good, gracious, and perfect heavenly father. Rebelling children make parents' hearts sick. Isaiah begins with the heart-sick words of God. Do you hear them? Do you hear what the Lord is saying? His heart is sick. Because his children have rebelled. Now listen. We tend to blame rebellious children on bad parenting. You know why we do that? Because we're judgmental. Because we're mean. Because we're unloving. Because we're ungracious. Because we're unkind. And because we're sinfully ignorant. 
rebellious children are not necessarily a sign of bad parenting. Godly parents in this world are often faced with disobedient and ungodly children. How do I know that? Because they were true of God. God, the perfect parent, the perfect, loving, gracious father has rebellious children. That's what it says. Chapter 1, verse 2. The children I raised, the children I cared for have rebelled against me. Israel was God's chosen children. Israel was raised by God. Israel was reared by God. And beloved, you can't accuse God this morning of being a bad parent. You cannot accuse God of not loving his children. You can't accuse God of abuse or neglect. And if God can have rebellious children, well, anybody can, beloved. Because Israel should have known better. That's what it says. That's what it says in verse 2. The children I have raised. What it says is they of all people. I'm not talking about the neighbor down the street. They of all people should know. If anyone should have been faithful, Israel and Judah should have been. If anyone should be faithful and obedient, it is the people of God. God himself had called them. God himself had chosen them. God himself had cared for them. God himself had protected and provided for all their needs. They of all people should know better. This is why rebellion makes no sense. Makes no sense. That's what the Bible says. When children rebel against godly parents, it is the most senseless of sins. Senseless. Senseless. It's unnatural. It's ungodly. It's unreal. It is foolish, beloved. It is foolish when we do this against godly earthly parents. How much more ridiculous it is when you rebel against the heavenly father God. And that's what it says in verse 3. This makes no sense. God says the ox knows his master. The donkey knows its own manger, its owner's manger. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. This is senseless. Nature testifies against you. Creation testifies against you. The ox knows better. The donkey knows better. God's children act like they don't know any better. 
That's what God says. God's children act like they don't know any better. The God who created them, the God who called them, the God who cared for them, the God who provided for them, the Lord God who saved them. His children rebelled. Makes no sense, beloved. Makes no sense. God is heart sick, Israel. Do you hear him? You of all people should know better. It is senseless because it is rooted in sinfulness. There is a senselessness to it all, and that's because it is rooted in a sinfulness, a deep-rooted sinfulness. And you see how the Bible describes it in verse 4. All sinful nation, all sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. Notice what it says. God says they are a sinful nation. This is the very con- this is the very contradiction of who they were supposed to be. Exodus 19 and 6 tells us that they were supposed to be a holy nation. A holy nation. A people set apart for God's glory and the testimony to other nations. They were supposed to be unique, and now they were not acting unique anymore. Rather than a holy nation, they were a sinful nation. They were a nation laden with iniquity, heavy with the guilt of their sin. The national character of the nation was now being despised, and they were being weighed down by guilt, and that guilt was a weight around the neck of God. God was carrying them. And he is saying, your sin is becoming too much. The guilt of it all, too much. The offspring of evildoers. That's strong language there, beloved. They were supposed to be the seed of Abraham. But now they have become known as the seed of the evil one. This is what Jesus said to those in his day, to the Pharisees and the the authorities. In John chapter 8 and verse 44, he told them, you belong to your father, the devil. Why? Because you want to carry out your father's desire. Offspring of evildoers. Children of corruption. Spiritually bankrupt. Because sin doesn't just lead astray. Satan and sin's desire is corruption and destruction. That's what he's going to do. He leads children astray for the point to destroy the family, 
destroy the home, destroy hope. Destroy the family, destroy home, destroy hope. And so it was with Israel and Judah. You see it in verse 4. They had forsaken the Lord. They had despised the Holy One of Israel. Utterly estranged, totally have turned their backs on God. As a nation, as a nation, they were sick. A sickness had crept in. And you see that in verses 5 and and 6. There was this infection that had come. This infection had come and had made them corrupt. There were open wounds. There was a stitch because there was no bandages. There was no salve. They had become infected, which had made them terribly sick, terribly ill. And they had become comfortable with it. They had become comfortable with the sickness. They had become comfortable with the stitch. Rebellion had become the norm. Rebellion had become the norm. What do you do with rebellious children? What do you do, beloved? You take them and you put them in timeout. You take them and you, you take away their privileges. What do you do with rebellious children? You ground them. You send them to bed with no supper. What do you do with rebellious children? You threaten them. You threaten them with the stick. You threaten them with the rod, or as my mother and aunts did, with switches. What do you do? What do you do with rebellious children when you're at your wit's end? Nothing is working. What do you do when you feel helpless and you feel hopeless? What do you do with the hard-headedness? What do you do with the hard-heartedness? You do what a lot of us have done. You give up. And you put them out. <laughs> Tell the truth. It's time to go. You put them out. You put them out of the house. That's what we do. But notice God's response. God doesn't send Israel away. God doesn't send Judah away. Rather than sending them away, he sends Isaiah with a message. He doesn't send them out. He sends Isaiah to them with a word, with a message. It is a message of hope. It is a message of restoration. Isaiah told his 
people that God wanted to have a sit down. God wanted to have a come to Jesus meeting. Here's the good news, beloved. Here's the good news, the good news of the Bible. Here's the good news of Isaiah. The good news is that God is not like us. God is not like us. His children are worse than ours, and yet he is better than us. Imagine that. His children are worse, and yet he's better. Look at Psalm 86 and verse 15. I don't think my children have ever said this about me. But God's children say it about him. But you, O oh Lord, are compassionate. You, O oh Lord, are a gracious God. You, O oh Lord, are slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. The good news is, is that God is not like us. Abounding in love and faithfulness, slow to anger, compassionate, gracious. God calls to his children and says, come home. Come home. Something is broken, but we can fix it. Something is wrong, but we can make it right. Something has been taken. Something has been stolen, but we can put it back again. You just come. 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 But notice God. When he says come, he says you come, but you be ready to change. You be ready to change. The rules of the house haven't changed. We still live in the same way we did before to the glory of God. So when you come, notice what he says in verse 16. When you come... Wash and make yourself clean. Take your evil deeds out of my stop, stop doing wrong. Beloved, God says come, but when you come, the first thing he's going to do, he's going to tell you about yourself. He says come, come. We want you to come. You, you can come, but the first thing you need to understand, as I understand, and you need to understand, you need to wash your hands. Your hands are dirty. So is your mind. So is your heart. Be willing to be washed. Wash. You have been doing wrong. You've been hanging out with the wrong people. You've been doing the wrong things. You have been ungodly. You have been unjust. And now it is time to do the right thing. It's time to do the right thing. If you're willing to listen, come, let's talk about it. Let's talk about your rebellion. Let's talk about your sin. Because I can fix it. I can fix it. Not only can he fix it, God wants to fix it, beloved. God wants to fix it. The message of Isaiah is a message of restoration. This is the message of the Bible, beloved. This is the message of the gospel. God does not throw sinners away. You can come back to God. 
If you do what God says, Judah, God is going to fix it. He'll fix it. He'll fix it. No matter how hard it is, he'll fix it. And sin is hard. Sin is hard. Rebellion is hard. Rebellion is heavy. Seems insurmountable. Seems unforgivable. When children rebel, beloved, out of ignorance, they say and do very difficult things. And when they come back, it's hard. It's hard to forget what they said. It's hard to forget what they did. It is hard. And to many, it is insurmountable. And to many, it is unforgivable. But what seems too hard for us and what may be too hard for other people to forgive, it is not too hard for God. It is not too hard for God. And what the Bible says in Genesis 18 and verse 16, is there anything too hard for the Lord? The question is asked. And the obvious answer, no, no. The fall with Adam and Eve was not too hard. The flood in Noah's day was not too hard. Pharaoh and the Red Sea were not too hard. Goliath or the Philistines were not too hard. The world and the devil are not too hard. Your rebellion and my rebellion are not too hard. Whatever it is, God can and God will fix it. Whatever it is, he can and he will fix it. What do wayward children need, beloved? What do wayward children need? Wayward children need a way home. That's what they need. That's what they hope and they have. This was the case with the prodigal son. In Luke 15 and 18, when he finally came to an end of himself, he realized, I will go home to my father. Why? Because my father has left a way for me to come home. That's the way what children need. That's what they need. No matter how far they go, they need to know that they can come home. That they can come home. And so what does God say? He invites them. He says, come home. Come home. Come home. And let's talk about it. Let's sit down and talk about it. Come home. You have tasted the sourness of sin. Come now and taste the sweetness of God's grace. Come home. Come home. You have drunk the bitterness of your guilt and rebellion. Now come and taste the sweetness of God's mercy. Come home. 
You can come home. You can come home. That's what he says in verse 18. Come now, he says. Come now. Come. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. What do rebellious children need? They need to know no matter how far they've gone, they can come home. And God says, come. Come on, Judah. Come on, rebellious ones. Come. Come. Let's sit down and talk about this. Your sin they, is great, but my mercy is more. Come. Come. Sin is like a stain, beloved. A deep, deep stain that won't go away. That's what it is. That's what that rebellion is. It's a deep stain that won't go away. You wash it and you wash it and it won't come clean. And so what do you do? You try to cover it over. You try to hope that nobody else will see it. But what happens? It just bleeds through again and again and again. Sin is a deep, deep stain that when it is covered over, all it does is just continue to bleed through and bleed through and bleed through. You don't need your sins covered. You need your sins removed. Grace is God's stain remover. Sin, sin clogs the drains of our lives. And if you've ever had a clogged drain, beloved, I live in my house. Our house, our children grew up, there were five women who had a lot of hair. And it seemed like we were unclogging drains all the time. You got to find something that works. Or you'll just be pouring and pouring and pouring and pouring. You need to find something that clean that cleans and cleans the drop the, the clog. Sin clogs our hearts, beloved. Sin clogs our heart. And most of the time, the things that we're trying to unclog it with, all it does is make the clog worse. Clogs it up more and more and more and more and more. God says, come home. Come home. And you know what you find? That my grace is like liquid plumber. My grace is supernatural strength draino. Flushes, flushes, flushes out that sin. In Christ, your sins are not covered. In Christ, your sins are flush. Flush. Not just taken away. Not just flush, beloved. God gives you a whole new plumbing system. Yeah. 
replaces all the pipes. But the Bible says, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7, if anyone is in Christ, he's got a new plumbing system. If anyone is in Christ, the whole piping has been replaced. All things, all things have been made new. All things have been made new, beloved. This is the message of God to his children. This is the goal of God. This is the goal of God. This is what you'll see in Isaiah, beloved. This is the goal of God. It is not just to take away sin. It is to make all things new. New. Never knew there was a clog in that drink. No signs of it. New. New. God doesn't just save. He restores. He doesn't just cleanse. He makes new. He doesn't just forgive. He makes rich. That's what he does. He doesn't just forgive. He makes rich. You don't just come home, but you get a new robe. You don't just come home, but you get a ring on your finger. You don't just come home, but you get a feast of feasts. You don't just get forgiven, but you're made rich in Christ. That's what the Bible says. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. In Christ, we are not just forgiven, but we have been made rich. Rich in mercy. Rich in his grace. Never to be impoverished again. This is why we come to Jesus. Come home. Come home, Judah. Come home, Israel. You who are weary. Come home. Come home. Oh, the wonderful love that he has promised. Promised for you and me. Though you have sinned, his mercy and his pardon, pardon for you and for me. Come home. Come home. You who are weary, come home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling. Calling poor sinners. Come home. Come home, come home, come home. What do rebellious children need? They need a way home. They need a way home. They need to know that in my father's house, I am welcome. No matter how far I've gone, you can come back. You could come back to East Point Church. You could come back. You could come back to Jesus. You can come back. Now there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You just come home. You just come home. Let's pray.